Today I want to talk about almost persuaded or all in. Almost persuaded or all in. You know, marketing firms make a lot of money and they attract more and more clients if they prove that they can excel in the power of persuasion. Sometimes there's some things that it's hard to persuade you about. Somebody gives you a word, sell all you have, and you're going to go on the mission field. You might have to think about that for a while. Even sometimes if the doctor says, quit eating what's bad for you, it's hard to persuade you. But then there's some things that's real easy to persuade. Ed Trout said, if he gives a word that you're going on a two-week Hawaiian vacation and somebody's going to pay for it, you're in agreement right that second. Doesn't take you one minute to think about that. So whether you arrive at the place called persuaded depends on a plethora of things. You can be predisposed to certain things, so you can be persuaded. You can be preferential to other things, and you're persuaded, but you can be perturbed by some things, and it's hard to persuade you. And so in the interest of alliteration, I'll, I'll finish with this little one sentence before we move on. Is the premise being presented pleasing to you, or is the product one that performs? All these things play into whether we are persuaded. Romans 4.21. Speaking of Abraham regarding his wife Sarah, when uh, she, God said she was going to have a child at age 90, the NIV says being fully persuaded. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. The NLT says he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Persuaded. The dictionary says to make someone agree to do something by giving them good reasons for doing it. Some other definitions, to induce, urge, or prevail upon successfully. To cause to believe or convince. Now, usually convince means to cause someone to believe something is true. I'm convinced you're going to go there today. I'm convinced that that party is not going to work out like you think because you've planned it poorly. I'm convinced. But see, persuaded usually means to cause someone to do something by, by asking them to or giving them reasons they should. It, it, it has an action connotation to it. So you can believe something is true, but if you're persuaded, you're usually willing to take action. Acts 26. It's a long passage. I want to skip around and read parts of it. Um, what precedes this chapter, what precedes 26, is 23, 4, and 5. And 23, 4, and 5 talks about Paul, and he was detained. And, you know, Paul gets in a lot of trouble, but, man, he, he did a lot of good. So if your life has adversity, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're not anointed. You can do both at the same time. And so chapter 23, 24, and 25, you might read that later. And, and there's all these men that are mentioned. There's Felix. He's uh, uh, one of the rulers. There's Festus. He's the next governor. There's a guy named Agrippa. He's the king of another region. And, and Paul is having things to do with all of them while he's in chains, while he's in chains. And so even if there's areas of your life that you don't feel or where you need him to be, you can still keep doing stuff for God. And you can actually be very effective. Acts 26. I'm going to start around 12. Paul is talking to Agrippa. He was permitted to speak to the king because he appealed to Caesar, and then these rulers talk among themselves, and really everybody was a wimp, and nobody wanted to make a decision, and so they kept bouncing him around to let somebody else make the call. And so verse 12 says, while thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus, he's really given his testimony here. You can't go wrong giving your testimony. One time Todd was going to uh, come preach, and he told Roger, I don't even know what I'm going to preach on. And Roger goes, give your testimony, talk about the blood of Jesus, mention the cross, and give an altar call. And Todd did it, and it worked out just great. And so you can't go wrong by giving your testimony. So uh, Paul says, while thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven. 
brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, there's slain in the spirit right there. I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness. You know that we're all ministers and witnesses. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. That holds true for all of us. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Pay attention to that one verse, verse 18. That's a rich verse. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me. People can get mad at you for doing the right thing. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, that he would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. And he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. Now, he's speaking to Agrippa, but Festus was in the room. I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. But Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. Another translation says, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Almost persuaded. Many people are in this same exact predicament, maybe even people in this room, in one area or another. I fought over this message with God, and last night I was talking to John, and while he was talking to me, I told him a, a, a concern, a worry on my heart, and he said, God already told you he's going to take care of that. See, I was almost persuaded of what God told me, but not quite, not fully and so I was up half the night crying and repenting over my area of unbelief. You know, we've heard precepts and concepts and commands and principles and prophetic words from the word of God. We've, we've heard them taught and exposited exquisitely. You, sometimes when, when people talked about it, you could feel God on it and in it. And yet there are still areas of resistance that keep us from obeying, from going all in. We've read what Paul said. We've, we've read the words of Jesus in red. <laughs> we've heard one of the pastors or one of the preaching team say things over and over and over. And yet, we're not quite there. And maybe you're thinking about it, and maybe you have an intention to obey. You're just not ready yet. 
We met John. Get me a Kleenex, Alan. Please, thank you. We met John in 2003. There was a big stadium event called the Call Texas that was going to be held in Dallas, I believe. And we were doing outreaches, and we were in New Mexico at Dale Gentry's church doing an outreach there. And John was at that church, and we met him. That was in 2003, and so for the next couple of years, Cammie kept in touch with him, and Alan did some. Cammie's more likely to keep in touch with you than Alan is, and um, except now that she's in Victoria. It's, I told her, Cammie, it's, like it's like you're on the other side of the world. But they kept in touch with one another, and somehow it happened around 2005 that John and Alan were emailing. Alan was working in the office then, and and, and Alan said something about Tammy had a word for him, and, and Tammy was a dear friend of mine who's now in heaven, and she was an amazing intercessor, and she had a seer gift, and she could get amazing, insightful, prophetic words. And, and so um, John heard that, and he goes, tell her, get, tell her pray for me. Tell her pray for me. Get a word for me. I'm going to Paraguay. Tell her to pray for me. So Alan asked Tammy to pray for John over in New Mexico and about his trip to Paraguay, and some days passed, and Tammy called, and she goes, I have a word for John, and she typed it out and sent it to us, and it was, don't go to Paraguay. You're supposed to be at the epicenter. So Alan gave him the word, and I go, what did he say? <laughs> and there was some commentary, and then a little time went on, and I called John, and I go, how you doing? He goes, fine. I go, you coming? He goes, yeah, I'm, I don't know when. You know, I got some, I, there's this business thing I want to do, and I, I want to get this done, and I, I want to do that, and I want to do the other. And he didn't want to come and be a burden and not have everything all together, really. And I don't know why I said this, you know, but every once in a while, you know, God speaks through me. And so I, I just, I said, well, John, on the phone, I said, my question is not, when are you coming? My question is, how long are you going to disobey God? And within a few days, John was here <laughs> with one suitcase and a set of plans under his hand, and we picked him up at the airport. <laughs> See, we can be almost persuaded. We can agree something is true, but sometimes we need to put corresponding action to it because if that's what's called for. And so here's the truth. Agrippa was highly favored to listen to such an eloquent advocate of the gospel as Paul the Apostle. What if Paul the Apostle laid out the gospel for you? But yet his answer was almost, you persuade me to be a Christian. Agrippa never lived the life of a Christian. But notice that even when Paul got a chance to talk to someone in authority, he was not really making a plea to seek his release or to get out of his chains. He cared more for the soul of the man he was talking to. Now, I don't think Paul would have been content at all if he could have persuaded Agrippa to just somehow talk the talk of Christianity or take the name of Christianity or, or maybe even be baptized as a Christian. His object was that he might be a Christian because to seem to be is nothing. To be is everything. A friend on Facebook posted, everyone is a Christian until it gets biblical. So we can be almost persuaded to quit backbiting, but we just want to tell them what we think. 
We can be almost persuaded to stop fornicating and be in that sexual immorality that we can't seem to shake. We can be almost persuaded to start tithing like God told us to. We can almost be persuaded to volunteer in the place God said to. We can almost be persuaded to speak what God said or to quit tearing down our spouse with our words. We can be almost persuaded to forgive somebody, but we just can't make our way to him. We can be almost persuaded to start believing what God has spoken over us. A pastor I know posted this on Facebook. You can get a few things off Facebook that are decent. If we are true Christians, we believe the Bible is the ultimate truth and authority. If we only believe what we like or what we want to believe, but we discard what offends us, we are not true Christians because the truth will offend us at times. Jesus was offensive to people. He said things they didn't want to hear. Some left him because they said, this is a hard saying. You know, Bibi and Tim have been through a, a, a little health attack on Tim's life. We've had health attacks. I'm, I'm going through something right now. I'm believing for a miracle for me. But they were going through a little attack. But God told Bibi, Tim's going to be fully restored. But that doesn't mean, see, if he gives you a word, everything's going to be easy. Because the devil doesn't play fair, and he likes to attack every word that God gives you. He likes to give you evidence that is not going to happen. It's going the opposite direction. It's not going to be that way to get you off your faith so that you're no longer fully persuaded that what God says he said he'd do is true. But Bibi is a person of prayer, and those of you who know her know that she's, she's really nothing like me. She's not going to be loud and crazy, and, and she's not going to yell, okay? She said she and Tim have never had a fight, and I talked to you about arguments that we've had, you know? And so, <laughs> so she's, like, praying and interceding, and she's, she's actually the head of prayer for a, 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 a women's ministry here in the Sugarland area, and she's praying, but, you know, it's hard because they're going to the doctor, and she's having to cook special food, and she's trying to get Tim to gain weight, and, you know, she's, she's doing a lot more physically, and, and it's emotionally draining when you're worried about your spouse, and one morning she gets up, and she's just sort of tired, and so she said, Lord, I just don't feel like fighting today, and the Lord said to Bibi, tough, <laughs> tough, he talks to me like that a lot, but, you know, he knows that's my language. And so B.B. could have been offended. Well, I can't believe God talked to me like that, you know? Like, isn't he supposed to be loving and kind and merciful and gentle? But then he added, B.B., I've provided everything you need for the battle. So it didn't offend her. Now, it may have surprised her, <laughs> but she let it propel her into prayer. See, so that, so that her excuse didn't keep her from winning more of the battle that day because, you know what, tough works because they're winning the battle. <laughs> so if you want a definition of a true Christian, in one verse, verse 18, that I pointed you to, Paul gives a concise five-pronged description of what it means to be one. One whose eyes are open, turned from darkness to light, seeing and knowing the truth of God in a whole new way. One who sees his sins, see, doesn't say, I have no sin. One who sees his sins and knows their wickedness, but is confident in the plan of salvation and how sufficient it is. So a conversion, a change must take place. One who has received forgiveness of their sins because of the blood of Jesus, knowing they are pardoned and joyful that their sins are remitted. Remitted means paid for. The penalty is paid. One who has faith in me, Jesus says, and one who knows there is an inheritance laid up 
for him. We are not orphans. We are not just servants. We are heirs. There is a lot that's ours in our name that Jesus died for. So how is it consistent with reason that any person would believe the Bible to be true, yet at the same time remain disobedient to its commands? See, it reminds me of the first Kings scripture, how long can you halt between two opinions? See, if someone said they didn't believe the Bible, then it would actually make more sense to me if they ignored its commands. Almost. The murmuring Israelites almost made it into the promised land. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira almost lived to participate in the revival in the book of Acts. <laughs> Adam and Eve almost did what God said in the garden. Nadab and Abihu almost offered the kind of fire God asked for. See, let's think about who else heard that day what Paul said to Agrippa. Festus was in the room, my Bible tells me. His wife, Bernice, came in with much pomp and circumstance with him. Many others, the Acts 25 says, chief captains and, and principal men of the city were in the room. So while Paul was failing to persuade Agrippa, was there maybe somebody, anybody, whose heart was just soft enough to allow the truth that Paul was presenting to plant in their heart. Could anybody else maybe receive with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save their soul? Let's look at some reasons that we can be almost persuaded as opposed to fully persuaded. I have this little book at home. It's called Children's Letters to God, and one of them says, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. So sometimes we're not persuaded because it's just not what we wanted to hear. Another one, dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. What's the reason that Agrippa was not persuaded? But my real question is, how are you or how am I like Agrippa? First of all, there was Bernice. Walking in with Agrippa, beautiful woman, you know, on his arm, pomp and ceremony. But history tells us that she, even though she was his wife, was actually his sister. And their relationship was incestuous. So love of sin can be a huge reason a person cannot be persuaded. A person in sin can often see, but they just don't want to see. And Bernice had even more history. She was married before Agrippa, to her own uncle, to Herod, making her both his niece and his wife at the same time, and then she was unfaithful to him. So there's love of sin, but there's also evil association, the company you keep. You know, you can be around people for a certain length of time, and little by little, they start changing your mind about things. You, you start veering off in your opinions because you don't want to sound too harsh. You don't want to sound religious. You don't want to sound legalistic. But actually, if you're truthful, you shouldn't worry about all that. And so do you know how many times I've seen people move away from their convictions little by little as they became sympathetic or, or maybe sentimental toward the unbiblical practices of friends or family or people they loved? And so they start saying, that practice isn't so bad because, you know, I love so-and-so. Well, see, there's no dichotomy between loving somebody and hating their sin. You, just because you love somebody, you don't need to be soft on their sin. In fact, you're doing them no favor to be soft on their sin because they're going to stay in their sin. And that's not a good place to be. Now, then there was fear of man. Festus was the governor. He was in the room. He was a strong, rough-and-tumble kind of guy. 
Agrippa was a little more sophisticated. So you don't want to appear weak in front of a tough guy. So maybe Agrippa just didn't want to yield or, or concede in front of somebody that he thought might think of him as weak. Charles Purgeon said this, if you are almost persuaded, you altogether miss the blessing. He said, if you're ill and you hear of an effective remedy for your condition and you are almost persuaded to take it, you still don't get better. Almost doesn't cut it. Almost doesn't get the job done. Agrippa was the last king of the line of Herod the Great. He was a Jew. He had authority over the population of Jerusalem. And he wasn't even liked by the Jews many times. So Agrippa died, as far as history records, never having converted to Christianity. So he died in his sins. But with one decision, he didn't have to. You can accomplish great things. You can be honored by others. You can have worldly success. You can fight important battles. You can have a title and a position. But to be almost persuaded to be a Christian is to be fully lost. To be almost persuaded to be obedient is to be fully disobedient. We almost won, but we lost. I almost hit the lottery, but one number I was off. The hiker almost got rescued, but nobody found him, and he died from heat exhaustion. You know, almost. How many times? Maybe you started at fully, fully persuaded, but now you find yourself at almost. Have you lost your spiritual intensity? What changed you? What changed you? What happened? Uh, when Easy was 80, that was nine years ago, we found out on April Fool's Day of 2014 that a young man that we love like a son, that we had invested all of our money with over a period of time, little by little by little, our life savings was zero. He had spent all the money. It was all gone. It was, all the statements we had gotten month after month were forgeries, and the audits were faked, and nothing was true. Our money was gone. A few months later, we were at a meeting, a prophetic meeting at Sweetwater Church, and Patricia Bootsma from Canada, she's on the, one of the heads of the prophetic council there, came up to us, didn't really know us well. She had prophesied to us previously about the revival that would take place here and the healings and miracles and that we were raising up five-fold ministers and all that, but that's all she knew about us, just what she had said. And she walked up and she goes, I sense that you've suffered a great betrayal. We're like, whoa, yeah. And she said, heaven has been grieved by it just like you have been. But God says, don't let it change you. Don't let it change you. See, what came in that changed you? If you were once it fully, and now you're it almost. So if $650,000, God said, don't let it change us, what's your little deal? What's your excuse? See, don't let it change you. Don't let it change you. Only let Jesus Christ change you. Only let the power of the Holy Spirit change you. So in Acts 28, 23, the Bible says, when they had appointed Paul a day, to speak again, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Talked about Jesus all day. And the Bible says, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. Some hearts stayed hard. See, when we hear and we hear and we hear, but we don't do, it's like we numb ourselves. You know, it's like the kids, you can say over and over, come, come in, come in, come in. I didn't hear you say it. I said it seven times. I got louder and louder. They just tune you out. See, and sometimes even in church, things that are said over and over that are truth, we just tuned ourselves out. 
So we've exempted ourselves from that. We don't have to follow that truth, God, because we're just not even hearing it anymore because we've chosen not to hear it. So we numb ourselves and we inoculate ourselves against the truth. And last night, God dealt with me on some things, but I want to say this. I, you know, God has prophesied that we're going to have revival here. We can feel it. We can feel it rising. We can feel the water level rising every single week, every single Sunday. We had a revival for five years in the late 90s into the early 2000s with young people in Fort Bend County. And he said that we're going to have another revival, but it's going to be greater. The latter will be greater than the former. He said more signs, healings, wonders, and miracles, that the latter one would be much greater than the former. He said, sons, we're going to come back into this house that were involved in that first one, and we've already seen that start to happen. And So God is, is faithful to his word, but let me be clear. I personally don't want to sacrifice, pray, pastor, counsel, raise money to pay the rent and the bills and salaries to the staff to almost have revival. See, I want to go for it. I want to be all in. I want it all. I don't want less than God has said. I don't want to raise up people who can quote their biblical rights but ignore biblical responsibilities. So for revival to happen, we got to press in together. We must be hungry together. When revival happens, you will be challenged in every area where you are not yielding to God and operating in obedience. Are you ready for that? See, or did you have something else in mind? So the truth is we need more than half the people in the church tithing. And if you think I can't afford to tithe, I'll tell you plainly, you can't afford to be in disobedience. We need all of the church praying, and not just when we have problems, not just when we need a miracle. We need to pray to increase our intimacy with God, to get familiar with his voice, to hear his heart. We on staff need to tune into what the Holy Spirit is saying for us corporately, but we all need to tune into what he's saying to us individually. And every single one of us needs to obey his word and do what he says. My favorite scripture, John 2, 5. Alan preached on it recently. I'll never stop wanting to listen to that scripture. Whatever he says to you, do it. And there's a lot of stuff he says in this word. Then he's, There's things he says prophetically. There's things he says corporately. There's things he says intimately in your heart. There's things he speaks to you as a song is sung. Whatever he says to you, do it. Not on our terms. Not according to our latest feel-good, easy-breezy, pseudo-Christian philosophy of the day. We need to be really all in. Take my life, all of it, even when it's hard. I believe you can get me out of this. I might be in chains right now, but they're not going to stay forever. And I'll still preach the gospel even while my chains are here. Because eternal chains are much more drastic than temporal ones. The ones that clank. I'm not talking about legalism. I hate religion. I hate religious spirits. But biblical Christianity is not pop psychology, nor does it alter itself to appeal to the consumer. You know, Jezebel spirits always try to stop revival. A lot of ways they work. They aim at and attack the prophetic. But they also usurp authority. Where are you usurping the authority that you once surrendered and gave to God over your life? Where are you allowing a spirit that's from the enemy to cause you to get off your conviction and no longer be all in but just partially halting between two opinions, a double-minded man on the fence? See, where, where did you surrender that authority? Authority over your decisions 
how you spend your money, over your kids and what you release them to or what you don't allow them to do, over your habits, over your entertainment choices, over your tendencies, over your time, over your schedule, just to name a few. This is the truth. I'm glad that God centered on love today. You know, it's sort of like the baby. When my, my son's 52 today. It's his 52nd birthday. Uh, when I'd feed him when he was a little baby, I'd put a little pudding on the front when I was going to give him spinach or vegetables, you know. So God said, here's my love, but we can't separate truth from it. So there's love and truth, and both set us free. And so this is truth, and it'll set you free. And it may not tickle your ears or please your flesh, but that's not my goal. You know that movie where the, the guy says, you can't handle the truth. Well, see, we must not only be able to handle it, but we must hunger for it. See, we must hunger for it. Because if we don't, we're not really wanting revival. So I want to know who's with me today. I repented last night for some things. I said, God, oh, you said some things to me, and I've let my feelings tell me this, and my feelings make me worried, and I've let myself feel like, oh, this depends on me. This is heavy. This, how am I going to do this? You know, you, you, we get into all kind of mindsets. They're so opposite of what God has spoken. He clearly speaks to the weakness in our life, and we keep running back to it. We keep running back. When I first got emotionally healed, he said, little girl of the past, it doesn't all depend on you. And I start feeling like, oh, it all depends on me to get this done. It depends on, see, we run back to that, that unsafe place that God says, come out. So I need to know who's ready to get real. Who is ready to get right? Who is ready to quickly obey? Who is ready to repent if needed and be fully persuaded, fully obedient, and therefore ready to fully receive all that God has said? Every one of us doing our part. Every one of us pressing in for all God has said over you individually and over us corporately. Stand to your feet with me. But I just want to pray right now. If there's something that God is putting on your heart that you feel you need to repent of, when nobody's going to ask you to say it out loud, nobody's coming to the front. I already raised my hand all night and cried and said, God, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I have just let my flesh and let my feelings run me more than what you have said. So raise your hand if there's an area you're repenting for. But if you're standing, I'm taking that to mean that you're, all, you're desiring to be all in. And so, Lord, I thank you that you see us. You see our hands, Lord. You see the areas where we've been weak. But we thank you that out of weakness, you will make us strong. Lord, your promises are yes and amen. You are not a weak God. You reign. We give you permission to rule and reign in our lives, in every area, in the rooms of our heart that we've kept to ourselves. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come in. Come quickly. Don't leave us where we are, God. Lord, bring us out into your marvelous light, out of darkness into light. Whatever intensity we once left, we want to be back in it. We don't want to come short of all that you say about us. We don't want to come short of your purposes and your plans for your life because you've given us a hope and a future, and it is for good and not evil. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We thank you for your love and your mercies that never fail. We thank you, God, for working in us so that you can work through us. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said amen.